Oh, I didn't tell you. Uh, we should talk a little bit about Free Comic Book Day before we start. Did you do anything? Yeah, I did not. I kind of glazed over it. I had to work that day, and so I kind of knew it was Free Comic Book Day, but I didn't really get around to... We should have gotten a tour. I know. We should have done a tour that day, and we did. Or no, maybe we didn't. I just wasn't doing it. But uh, I kind of love that Free Comic Book Day and Star Wars Day were on the same day this year. I know. It never happens. I think not enough was made of that. Like, there was not enough made of that. Yeah. By the way, I was thinking, I think we should do it in reverse today. I think we should talk Endgame first and then do news. Because really, most of the news... I mean, there's not much news, but most of the news has got to do with post-Endgame. Yeah. I mean, I, I had that thought as well. I, yeah, we can do it. I was on the fence about it. I eventually decided it would be better to do the news first, but I'm not married to it, so... I think, because also that way, that'll be the first episode that you that you edit and put out. Yeah. So it's not, like, sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting. This two-hour segment on Endgame. It's going to be longer than the movie. Yeah. Well, I figure... The other thing is, I figure that... There's definitely people out there who, you know, they went and they saw Endgame, and then they don't make a move until they know what we think of something. That's true. And so they probably, I mean, they probably haven't gone home to see their families. Yep. They're probably still in the theater right now. Yep. Just waiting for this episode to come out. They haven't eaten. And so, for the good of society, I think we should do the Endgame episode first before doing the news. I actually think... The universe would be better if half the people died, so I'm just not going to edit this, and I'm just going to let them starve to death. Yeah, that's that's fair. That would equate to about half the population. It would. Also, a little more housekeeping. Yes. At least one of us will be at New York City Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on that. I got three more possibilities to try and get an extra one. Okay. We'll see what happens. Let's see, there was something else I wanted to say, too. Yeah, I sat on that digital queue, and then it came up. And it was, well, as it's, if you've never gone on that digital queue, it's literally just a page that reloads itself. It doesn't, you don't have to do anything. And then it'll pop up like an update, which is just, it's just terrible to do to a person because it'll pop up like updates on what, how everything's selling. So it'll be like four day passes, 75% sold out, Saturdays, 50% sold out. And you're just watching like your hopes and dreams dwindle away on this reloading screen constantly and so finally when the queue came up it was sold out of four day passes and saturday passes and i was like god damn it i I wonder if i could cosplay my way into comic-con like cosplay as a security guard what if i cosplayed as a person going to comic-con and i made a cosplay comic-con badge do you think that would work i would be shocked if no one has tried this before but if they haven't it's kind of a brilliant idea here are the things i know and i don't know Here's what I don't know. (laughs) Okay, buckle in, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that would work. Here's what I do know. We're trying it. (laughs) That's probably the best. I will, uh, and you know me, I I do not go in for cosplay, but to cosplay as a Comic-Con goer is the one thing I will ever cosplay as.
Ah, uh, yeah, everybody, welcome to the Media Lunch Break, bringing you all of your comic geek and movie news all the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and then snap half of it away. My name is Chris Treble. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Dunn. Say hello, Andrew. I am inevitable. And I am Chris Treble. <laughs> I am Groot? Nice. That should have been the end of that whole exchange. <laughs> There should have just been one more beat to it. So we're just going to, I think, because we're going to... Oh, sorry. Sarah is sitting across the room just staring at me. Creepy. Yeah. No, just judging me silently. Not actually that silently. Her facial... Did she see Endgame? Um, No, she did not see Endgame. But let's ask her what she thought of it. Hold on a second. Hey, Sarah, if you had seen Endgame, what would you have thought of it? Like, imagine you just came out of seeing Avengers Endgame, and now give me, like... Uh, and then we'll just here we'll we'll do like a little scene. Ready? Okay. So we just just so picture like we just came out of the theater and we just saw Avengers Endgame. Okay. So what'd you think of the movie, babe? Huh. Uh. I mean, it was good. Okay. I think she's lying. I don't think she actually liked it. You can tell me the truth. Did you like it? Um. Yeah, it was okay. What did you What did you think about the part where Groot ended up just poking out Thanos's eyes? She didn't see it. She didn't see it. She didn't see it. She doesn't know that that wasn't a part of the movie. She didn't see it. That was a trick. Here's what I think she should have said. I think she should have said, I got about 15 minutes into it and thought, I get the idea of this. (laughs) Andrew just said, you should have just gone. I watched about 15 minutes of it and I got the idea. So we're let's just get right into it because there's so much to unpack with this. Normally, we obviously do the news first, but let's be honest, there is no news after Avengers Endgame. So we're just going to do the Endgame episode now, and then next week, or whenever the next one comes out, that that's when we'll do the news. But we're going to get into Endgame right now. Listen, full spoilers, if you haven't seen Endgame, what the hell are you listening to a podcast like this for? It's the biggest movie... So that, many spoilers. It's, it's so many the spoilers. biggest movie that ever was and ever will be. So if you ha- are listening to a nerd-based podcast and haven't seen Avengers Endgame... What the fuck's going on? Get get some priorities in your life. That was really combative. I'm sorry. So, Avengers Endgame, it's a, it's 11 years in the making, 22 movies. I got to there first of all, I don't think there's been an undertaking quite like this before where you have this much lead up to it. Let's see. I don't even know where to start. Well, first of all, let's start with the plot. Well, yeah, why don't we just work through the plot? I've got some facts as well. So we can just talk about specific things. Then once we get to the end, I can uh, bang out some of these facts that we've got. Okay. So right out of the gate, Hawkeye, what a scene. That The first scene. Yeah. So the first scene of the movie is Hawkeye with his family, which we all think, I mean, we saw a little bit in the trailer. And, and this is one of those scenes, and I feel like there's a couple of scenes in this movie that are like this, that you knew were gonna happen. Like, we, everybody was like, oh, his whole family gets gets snapped away. That's what happens to him. And you see the exact scene, everyone knew it was coming, and it's still, you're right, just so powerful to see. Here's a fact, actually, that probably I had at the end, but it it fits better here. Um, That scene was originally the last scene in Infinity War. Yeah. In the original run. Well, they also talked about things getting kind of shifted around because they did shoot both movies simultaneously. They'd also talked about that the snap wasn't going to happen at the end of the first movie. It was going to happen at the end of the first act of this movie. And then Kevin Feige was like, no, you're killing me. Both terrible choices. Ending Infinity War 
by showing a character we have not seen the entire movie. Uh, but also, like, starting Endgame with that is such a just heartbreaking moment. Yes. And it's, it sets up his arc really nicely. And then having the snap, like, can you... what? Where in the world would you end it at, <laughs> the first one? Right. Well, I think what was brilliant about having that scene first is that you then also... Because there has been a little bit of a gap between Avengers Infinity War coming out and Endgame coming out. And so it sets you right back in that feeling that you had when you saw the end of Infinity War. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no catch-up that you have to really... Do. Not that you forgot what was going on, but emotionally, there's no there's no catch-up that you have to play um, after seeing that scene. It takes you right have back Have you seen the, the movie Up, the Pixar movie? Of course, many, many times. You know the, the opening of that movie? <laughs> yes. Yep, I understand exactly what you're saying. You're like, I can't believe you opened this movie. It's not quite an introduction to his family, but basically you're being reintroduced to his family. Right. Who you know nothing about. Right. Who you've seen in one other movie for like 10 minutes and you get really attached to them and then they're just ripped away from you. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's terrible. It's really awful, but in such a, a brilliant, brilliant way. Once this happened, I had no idea where it was going after that, but they've, Figure out where Thanos is, they go, and they just kill him. Whoa, you're jumping way far ahead. I'm not... Wait, how... So I've seen it twice now, so I've, okay. I've gotten a lot more intimate with this movie than I probably should have for my mental health. But we jump straight to space, and we see Tony Stark and Nebula hanging out. Oh, right, 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 right. First of all, great skinny CGI. Great, like, malnourished. Yeah. He looks like he's knocking on death's door. You know what? I forgot all this happened before the Thanos death. Okay, yeah, keep going, because I do want to talk about this. And Nebula, like, props him up, puts him in the chair, and I was like, we're going to lose Tony Stark in the first ten minutes of this movie, aren't we? Yeah. And out of nowhere, the deus ex machina... Uh, everyone was worried about her, but here she comes saving Tony Stark for at least a couple hours. Captain Marvel. The deus ex marvica, right? See what I did there? That's pretty good, right? No, it was pretty, it was really good, right? You like that? Yeah. It's gonna be a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, Captain Marvel saves everybody. Yay! <laughs> Not quite. Can we actually go back and talk about that Tony scene at Avengers headquarters? Because that is a... And this is true... Of nearly the entire movie, and I'll, I'll kind of get my thought on this out of the way. What I love, what I actually love about this movie, and you know this is the mark of a really good movie, is that with a movie like this, you know it's going to end with a giant CGI battle of some kind. And so, surprise, surprise, it ends with a giant CGI battle. And that being said, and this is not a mark against that ending, it's kind of refreshing to see a movie so good with such strong performances that the CGI battle at the end is was to me kind of the weakest moment of the movie. And I'm not saying it's weak. I'm saying the rest of it was so good that I wanted more of that. And this scene really kicked it off in that way. That scene where Tony Stark gets up and he's still emaciated and he's, he's going after Cap and he's, he's, you know, having that conversation of, we wanted to build, uh, I said we should build a, a suit of armor around the world, and you said no. And you have this beautiful scene from Robert Downey Jr., which people have been suggesting that he get some sort of awards nomination for just the body of work that he's put out with this character. Um, and for me, for my money, that scene, I was like, yeah, he's really going for it. Um, and it feels like everybody in this movie gets a little piece of that. Like, they all get a little moment 
to just sit down and act and not have to worry about like, I'm staring at a tennis ball and a grip with a giant raccoon on his head or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm truly acting with another person right now and I get a meaty scene of actual substance. Um, which was great. And that was the first one that really kicked off where you went, oh, they're going for broke on this. Even before that, when he's talking, I mean, it was in the trailer, so it wasn't a surprise, but when he's talking to his helmet and talking to Pepper Potts, like, that's a beautiful moment as well. Yeah. I mean, we've all known this. All the nerds have known this since before he even got cast in this role. Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor. He deserves an Oscar. Yeah. We'll talk more. I have it in my notes. We'll talk more about whether or not he deserves it later, or at least for this. So we fly to the garden, some weird rando planet, we're informed that Josh Brolin, not Thanos, but Josh Brolin, the actor, has right. destroyed all of the stones. So there are none left. Which is really good of him to do, I thought. I mean, he's a busy man. He's got a lot of projects, you know. Yeah, all of them are with Marvel. Right. Well, the third Sicario, I'm sure, is going to come out soon. And the fact that he finds time to do that before filming is really impressive. I don't think it's that hard for him. To destroy all the Infinity Stones before filming Sicario Part 3? Just in general. I think that's a nothing act. Like, he can destroy the Infinity Stones by winking at him. I don't think you understand the emotional strain that is to work on Sicario Part 3. I don't think you understand exactly how powerful Josh Brolin is and how easy it would be for him to destroy the Infinity Stones. You know what? That's fair. Yeah. That's a good point. Thank you. I stand corrected. Then Thor goes for the head. Yes, and thus begins his out-of-control spiral over the next five years. Which is a brilliant spiral, and we'll get into it more. But it's possibly one of the... I gotta say, and again, we'll get into it when we get to it, but it is one of the best twists of the entire movie, I think, is that whole thing. <laughs> it happens in the first, like, 30 minutes. I know, but it's still one of the best. It's still really, <laughs> really amazing. All right. So five years later, everyone's having a hard time. Clint Barton's off the grid. He's killing people. As he should be. It's about damn time he did. Yeah, I know. It's about time he's doing something. He puts the bow and arrow away, and he's like, you know, I've heard swords are pretty good. So then we get Professor Hulk, which I think you and I called. Probably. I think you and I... Because we looked at that... Remember, we did it in a Patreon episode, because we saw that leaked photo. Yes. And he's smaller than the Hulk, but bigger than Bruce Banner, and has more features of Bruce Banner. So I was like, it looks like they're merging together. Uh, so we, we've actually got a lot of things that we called about this movie uh, in the Patreon episode. So everyone should become a patron if you want, you know, everything spoiled for you beforehand. Yeah, then you pay money for it. <laughs> you, you should pay money... To have us ruin things that you were looking forward to for 11 years. <laughs> so we got Professor Hulk. It's a little weird. You, so you said the big scene at the end was the weakest part. And granted, yes, I agree with you that like saying anything in this movie is the weakest part really doesn't say much. It's all pretty much on the same level. It's all really good. Yeah, I don't want to say it was like when I say it's the weakest part, it's that idea of like, yeah somebody you know the idea of like someone's got to be the best and somebody's got to right. be the worst in order for there to be anything yeah um and that was that was it yeah of the olympic medals that one was the bronze right somebody's got to win bronze there's just no there's no if ands or buts about to it. me though honestly the whole scene where we're introduced to professor hulk which by the way for anyone listening uh is the comics it's the name for the character in the comics when Bruce Banner merges with the Hulk and you've got like a smaller, weaker version of the Hulk, but he has Bruce Banner's brain. So it's the same as this, but they just call him Professor Hulk. Um, I think that was the weakest scene. Like he dabs 
Ant-Man wants yeah, to take I a picture it. and they don't know who he is. It's really right. awkward and strange. I well, I understand because they hang on that bit for a while. That being said, I kind of I did love the bit, but it does take a long time. But I did love when Ant-Man just goes, "Take the goddamn phone." That was pretty It's fine. I felt like that was a little out of character too. Like is Ant-Man going to swear in front of these three kids? Like I get that he's a thief, but like uh it's one of those things where I was fine with it, but I understand if people are like, what the hell is going on? Like, it, it makes total sense. I, w- I gave it a pass, but I understand where it, it does, because it stops the movie dead to, to dwell on this bit. Right. And I knew going into it, I And had, then he's like slamming back pancakes and eggs. I got it. It's a whole, yeah. It's a whole thing, and he's, he's cracking jokes. It's just them. I think it's their way of trying to ease you into acclimating with this new character. I mean, it's not a, you know what I mean? Like, so let's get used to the idea that he's talking. Well, and you have to have humor, right? They tried something. It didn't not land, but it was, it just was a a hair long. Yes. Like Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner really isn't the type to, I mean, from what we've seen, other than the, to be fair, they changed him a lot during Taika Waititi's run with him. Right. But before that, he hasn't been the guy to be like, yo, I'm the hip, cool guy, you know? And now he sort of is that, which is, I think it's just off-putting for me in general. Well, I think the idea is that he's not, I think that he's, the idea is that, like, him doing the dab is supposed to be... Well, he thinks that he is. That's sort of what I mean, though. But, like, go back and rewatch the first Avengers movie with him. Right. And he's just, like, a scientist. Right. You know? He's a little awkward, but not in a, hey, I'm hip with the kids kind of way. Right. You right. know, he's he's more just like sort of shy and quiet. And maybe that's something they're trying to juxtapose, but I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't quite land for me. I think they're trying to give that character kind of growth that he was shy and quiet because this whole time he's been trying to keep this thing that's inside of him contained. Right. Now he has it under control, he can finally flourish. Yeah. Like he said, he thought he always thought of it as like a disease. And then when he realized that right. maybe if he can work with it instead of against it, then he can control it. And I think there's this, it's now you're seeing somebody who no longer is battling this demon that he's kind of come to grips with this thing. And so he has that weight off of his chest of like, I have to keep a rigid control all of the time. Now I can just be... A person, and what does that feel like when you when the, that person is now like a little more free? Right. So, speaking of weight on your chest and character growth, let's talk about Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the weight wasn't really on his chest, but let's yes, let's talk about Thor. <laughs> yeah. You know what's really funny about that prosthetic? You can still see his abs. Oh yeah. That's how strong his abs are. Yeah, you can't hide those. I'm sure, they, I bet you that prosthetic was like three times as big, and then they put it on his abs, and his abs tightened it down, and just crunched it. They probably tried with CGI first, and the abs were just like, moving the CGI out of the way telekinetically, and they're like, how is this happening? They're like, get these fucking pixels out of here. <laughs> yeah, that, it was, I kind of like that it's a rubbery i don't know why again i think just for the joke purpose of it i kind of like that it's just like a rubbery fake belly it's very funny it just works really well i feel like we have to call him chris buttersworth that's pretty good that is or chris hamsworth (laughs) am i right (laughs) that's very good 
That's very good. Surprisingly, no, I've not seen that on the internet once. So if you start seeing it on the internet, that's mine. Okay, if you're if you're out there in the void and you're listening, and you see one internet article, one YouTube video, one tweet, one Instagram, whatever the fuck they call those that uses the term Chris Hamsworth, you (laughs) better call the call that shit. You need to be like, Media Lunch Break did it first. Wow. Copyright Media Lunch Break. That is one of the funniest things we've ever said. Jeez. Okay, so Thor is fat. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Thor is fat. He's very depressed. He's very upset that he feels he's responsible, uh, but everyone else feels responsible as well, but he's taking it really hard, which is interesting. Right. Because Thor, as a character, has lost more than any other Marvel character. Like, he's gone through the ringer of just losing his brother and his dad and his mom and his sister and all of Asgard and his planet and everything. And now half the half of another planet is destroyed and he takes it. Well, half of the universe. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. And he takes it super seriously, which is, it makes sense. Like that's a big deal, but it totally drags him down into depression. Right. They do such a great job of making, he looks happy for a lot of it. You know what I mean? Which yeah, is, that he's in we talked a complete about this a denial lot with, of... Right, we talked about this a lot when we when you had me read Mr. Miracle. He's just a guy going to work, Mr. Miracle. Yeah. But there's this underlying tone. He's not a guy who's mopey and sad all the time, which is what people think depression is. Depression is a person living their life just like anyone else, but in the back of their head, there's this thing saying, like, you're a failure. Yes. Um, yeah. And you can tell that's, that's the way they're doing Thor, which is great. You're looking at a character who is literally built around the idea of worthiness and he he's not built anymore if you know what i'm saying oh <laughs> nice old honey glazed hamsworth uh I, I got a couple more they're they'll throughout the episode i'll, I'll sprinkle them don't worry so sprinkles oh uh, nice nicely done this is gonna just this is gonna get into a real spiral but you you have this character that's, that's built around the idea of worthiness and, you know, what do you do with a guy who doesn't feel worthy anymore? You know, especially when that is literally a, a crux of his identity. It's how he's able to be who yeah. he is and enable all of his might and his power through that worthiness. And then when he doesn't have that anymore, and it, it also really kind of rings to the idea of what is worthiness? Is it something that's bestowed on you or is it something you you feel in yourself you find in yourself right some are born great some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them right but to take that idea a step further like that greatness that's thrust upon you are you just generating that greatness within yourself as opposed to someone going no you are great like you know where do you find that confidence and you see later on and we'll talk about this then as well but how depressed he is and how much of a slob he's become and how much of a failure he thinks he is no matter all of those things combined he's still worthy yeah and that's kind of what's brilliant and to skip kind of to that scene in ragnarok when he summons mjolnir the joy on his face when he when it comes into his hand is amazing because it's not like it's not the thor of the first two movies it's the thor of thor ragnarok that more childish thor yeah but in a good way like it's a childlike 
happiness of yes oh my gosh i th- i thought i wasn't this and i i still ha- can have it but then we we move directly into time travel after we get the band back together great joke by iron man of uh calling thor lebowski right we get into okay we've got to figure out how to travel through time how are we going to do this oh we figure it out in about 10 seconds right something to do with the mobius strip so the time travel mechanics The thing that is astonishing to me about this film is that as far as scientists understand the only way that time travel could work, this is it. They got everything right. There are a lot of people who are like, there's some plot holes and like, well, what about this? No, no, it's all, it's all right. Like I've heard, I've, I've intentionally gone on YouTube to look for people who have plot holes with this film. All of them are easily solvable. There's only one that's a potential, and we'll get to it at the very end. Um, But the idea is that with quantum mechanics, and actually uh, Richard Feynman, who you know I'm a big fan of, I I think I gave you like a video of his to watch, and I have a, a comic that I plan on giving you at some point about his life. He was a uh, he was a quantum physics guy, and like one of the biggest that we've ever had. QED. Yes, exactly. That was his his big thing. One of the things he discovered was when you have photons and particles, they travel a lot. And the way they travel is very sporadic. And most of the time, they will disappear and then reappear somewhere else nearby. And that happens a lot. But every now and then, one will be there and another version of itself will appear right next to it. And then that one will disappear. So what we've discovered is that photons can time travel. They travel backwards in time. This, there's a cycle, there's a loop. So the, the one that it was a second ago is still there, and then a second later disappears. So that's how they use quantum mechanics to be able to time travel. And, as we understand it, you can't just go back in time and change your own time. Stephen Hawking started this theory a long time ago, is that there are different dimensions. There are different universes. Right. And once you go back in time, you are piggybacking onto another universe. So piggybacking onto another universe doesn't change your universe. You're essentially not so much time traveling as dimensionally traveling. Correct. And you're traveling to a dimension who is whose timeline is slightly out of sync with one of our own. That's right. Yeah. And in fact, because space-time, there's no such thing as space and there's no such thing as time. What there is is one thing called space-time. And what that allows you to do is you're not traveling to a specific point in time in a dimension, but every nanosecond in a time period is a different dimension. Right. Right. So we are moving through dimensions right now just through time tr- moving forward. Right. And you're just traveling back to one of those nanosecond dimensions. Right. In the idea of time traveling. Because there is an infinite number of dimensions. Right. What I kind of like about this, just as a sto- on a story level, and when people are like, there's plot holes and that's not how time travel works and da-da-da. What I like about this is that they could have easily gone the route that every other movie takes, which is, you know, don't affect your past because it's going to create a butterfly effect and da-da-da-da-da. Back to the future rules. But what I love about this is that they remembered, hey, we make the movie, which means we make the rules. So all I have to do is have Professor Hulk say, that's not how this works. If you killed your past self, you still stay alive. And then that's it. That's the rule. It doesn't matter because this is all like science fiction. Yep. As long as you set the rules, that's all that matters. There's a great story that I love 
and I feel like we one of us has probably told it on this podcast before, but John Landis was talking to his son, Max Landis, and he said to his son, Max Landis, so how do you kill a vampire? Because they were doing a movie about vampires. And he goes, how do you kill a vampire? Max goes, well, you know, you have a wooden stake and you can put it through the heart or there's garlic or there's a crucifix. And John Landis goes, wrong. He goes, you know how you kill a vampire? Any way you want, because vampires don't fucking exist. So whatever you say kills a vampire, kills a vampire. It's your movie. You di- you dictate the rules. What a great dad. I know, right? And so, and that's the and that's the. Didn't he also kill a bunch of people? Uh, not on purpose, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think he did it right before right before this scene. <laughs> but that's the truth, and you can do that with any movie, including this one with time travel. You know how time travel works? Any way we decide it works because it's not real. I mean, it's real in quantum physics, but it's not real in the capacity that we're doing it right here. So, however we say it exists, that's how it exists. And if you want to disagree with it, you can. But you're wrong, because I just said that these are the rules of time travel. And I agree with that to an extent, but I think that research is important. And I think, like, it's so rewarding to see that someone did... They evidently had, like, a team of scientists who were quantum physicists... Oh, sure. ...on set, so they could ask them questions and be like, so how would it work if we could do this? And then once you have that foundation you can add to it whatever you like because you get to a certain point and obviously we don't know where to go from there or else we'd be time traveling. (laughs) Right. I love also though that they do it as a gag. Like have, just have Rhodey go, why don't we go back in time, find baby Thanos and just, you know, and then he just starts squeezing nothing. Yes. It's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, And then later they're like, wait, wait, who told you that, who told you time travel works that way? And they're like, time cop, back to the future, back to the future two, back to the future three. And they just name off all the movies. Die Hard. Wait, no, no, that that wasn't wasn't one. one. (laughs) I feel like Paul Rudd with like that and the, just take the goddamn phone. That was clearly like, they're just going to let Paul Rudd like go for a couple of minutes. They're just like, Paul, we're putting the camera on for like 20 minutes and going to get a sandwich. You do what you do and then we'll come back again. And by the end, it's like, like to go back to the take the goddamn phone, I'm pretty sure that was Paul Rudd asking the Russos to please say cut. I'm pretty sure that's where that was. And they were like, that's the one that makes it in. Moving forward. Or are we? You know what I mean? Because time travel? Oh, I, oh, oh, <laughs> very good. Because yes. it's time travel. I'm going to have to cut this out or we're going to lose every listener we have. So they go back in time and so much happens. We split off into three different groups. Maybe, maybe four? I think four. Nope, it's three. Because it's the first Avengers movie group. You've got Guardians of the Galaxy 1 group. And you've got Thor the Dark World group. What about Clint and Natasha? That was Guardians of the Galaxy 1 group and they split into two subgroups. Well, okay. So, yes. So they go to three different timelines. But I was I was considering those four different groups. Because they have to fly to another planet. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So you're talking about space, not time. I'm talking about groups of people. <laughs> I'm going to annoy the shit out of you with some of these concepts now. I'm going to use this against uh... you. Just like everyone else on the internet. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, no problem. So I give a voice to the voiceless. <laughs> we've got those four groups. And uh, one of the groups is Ant-Man, Tony Stark, and America's Ass. <laughs> Which has got to be one of the greatest lines. <laughs> 
ever. I, yeah. All right. The three main, uh, I'll say Tony, Cap, Thor, because they, they seem to be the, the three main characters throughout this storyline, right? Agree. Agree. The thing that is most interesting about this act, the second act of this film, every single one of those three has an out. Any of them can drop what they're doing and just go live happily somewhere else. Tony can stay with his dad and get to know him as a friend instead of a son and know him in a way he's never had a chance to as an equal. Cap has the chance to get that last dance. He can drop everything there, open that door, and live the rest of his life with Peggy. Right. Thor can tell his mom about her future so she doesn't die, and he can have a second chance with Jane. Right. But all of them take the harder choice and do what they came there to do. Mm. I, You know what? I never... I mean, obviously, I noticed it with... Iron Man and Cap. However, that did not actually register with me th- on that level. Yeah. Until you just said it right now, but it's 100% true. Yeah. I think that's my favorite thing about this movie. You really get the impression this storyline has been 11 years in the making. And if they had gotten to this point at any other time before this, they might have taken that out. Especially Tony, who's like super selfish uh, Cap's been fighting this whole time just to get her back. You know, Thor is as depressed as he can be. You know, he's lost everything. He has a chance now to go back, you know. So I, I really think it's it's a, a real sign of character development for all three of them. Yeah, you're right. Anytime earlier in the in the 11 years or the 22 movies, even if they, they weren't going to take the out, that would have been one of the main conflicts of the movie. That would have been one of the main themes of the movie of, like, what is for the, you know, it's better for the greater good or for myself. And you're right. It doesn't even enter into it. They are so at this point, they've been through so much by themselves and together and seen so many things that it's, it doesn't even register for them. It's, they just, the needs of the many outweigh the, outweigh the needs, needs of the of few. few. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Actually. I haven't seen anyone else talk about that either. I've been listening to a lot of reviews and, and watching a lot of videos on it. No one's mentioned that. No, I think you're one of the first ones to really realize it and notice it. I think it's one of the most important parts of the movie. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, the fact that they, that these people not for one second go, I could just leave. I could just leave and, you know, I mean, the, the closest they come to is, at the beginning when Tony's like, I don't need to discover time travel. I have everything I need. I'm out. Right. Well, and I was going to say actually the opposite as well is that Thor almost tells his mom. He almost saves her. That was a real, it's, it's funny. Immediately when you talk about time travel, you think of, I think back to the future, uh, time travel in a movie, I should say. And they reference it a couple of times in this. And that's the one almost quasi, um, Back to the Future reference that no one has really mentioned because that one parallels the scene in Back to the Future with Marty McFly in the letter of he's going to tell this person about their future and that person goes don't. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I'm going to live my life the way that whatever fate decides for me and that's part of life. Like that acceptance of I don't need to escape anything. Whatever is going to happen is meant to happen. Is that Doc Brown? Yeah, it's it's Thor and Doc Brown talking to each other, which I thought was a great cameo. A little out of place, but I once I settled into it, I was like, yeah, I can get behind this. It's weird how those universes, they're canonically in the same universe when they both use two completely different theories of time travel. Well, it's also weird that they don't, 
no one's mentioned one or the other. I guess, I mean, Doc Brown never found any fame or fortune, so I guess they wouldn't really... But you'd think S.H.I.E.L.D. would have at least been on, on to him. So Banner gets punched out of the hole. How shouldn't, thin was that joke? That was that was like paper thin. Yeah, no, it was no good. That's why I'm trying to move on. So okay, Banner... Good gets punched out of the Hulk. Shouldn't he be wearing the same thing as the Hulk or nothing at all? I, yes. Well, but... Why is he wearing, like, a professor's outfit? What is Doctor Strange wearing in Doctor Strange when he gets punched out? His normal clothes, like, the same clothes he's currently wearing. I did think that, too, and I was like, well, maybe it has to do with, like, whatever he was wearing the last time he was... Bruce Banner. I think it has to do with Mark Ruffalo being self-conscious about how he looks without a shirt on. Well, I mean, yeah, wouldn't you be? Yes. He's like, he's not going to roll up into it, an Avengers movie with a, and be the only one with a dad bod. If they can CGI Tony Stark to be thin, they can put some abs on him. That's true. I think so. Oh, but they have to, they'd have to individually CGI all of the stomach hair. <laughs> He's a hairy guy, that Mark Ruffalo. I mean, you could just nair that. And that, that would eat up the budget. No, Thor would eat up the budget, you know what I'm saying? Oh, do I ever. <laughs> also, here's the question for you. Did you expect Captain America to say Hail Hydra? Yes, 100%. As soon as they were like... We're time traveling, and we gotta be incognito. It was like something's gonna happen. He's gonna say Hail Hydra. I don't know how I knew that. Just I could feel it. That's funny. It, it didn't occur to me until he was in the elevator, and like I saw actually, him. I think that's when it occurred to me. I'm lying. I'm trying to make myself smarter than <laughs> than I actually am. It was definitely in the elevator when that elevator door opened up and they all started to come in. I was like, oh, he's gonna say Hail Hydra. Right. right here. It, it wasn't it. for me. It was like basically the second before he said it like i saw right. him say oh that won't be necessary and i was like this is very odd for captain america this isn't usually how he handles things and then he i was like is he gonna say hail hydra because he knows all these guys are hydra and then he does it and i was like oh that was so yeah. good no when i saw all the people coming in the elevator i was like they're not gonna repeat this fight scene there's no reason for that right yeah i was a little worried they were going to and i was like how is he oh he's gonna say hail hydra that's it. That's going to be it. So here's how I think this was pitched. I think the Russos went up to someone at Disney, right. either Bob Iger or maybe Kathleen Kennedy. Sure. And they were like, so here's the deal. We have two ideas for Captain America. One is sort of a, a misdirect where we make it look like he's going to redo the fight scene from Winter Soldier in the elevator. But instead he says, Hail Hydra and just walks away with a scepter. Another thing that might be cool is we could have him fight himself from the past. What do you think? And they thought for, like, literally three seconds, rocking back and forth in their chair, and went, we're going to do both. No, I think they sat, they sat back in their chair and they went, wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> they were like, do you know that we have 20 movies that we're dealing with? I don't give a shit. Just do whatever you want, okay? We will, if we don't like it, we're just going to fire you. So just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so he fights himself. Captain America fucking fights himself from like eight years ago. It's the fight that I didn't know I wanted, but needed so badly in my life to see. Here's the thing. This fight scene is so good that halfway through the fight, I was like, this could probably be fixed with a post-it note. Like he could probably just say, I'm you and I can prove it. Ask me anything. I'm you from the future. I need to do this to save the future. You can trust me. Ask me anything that only you would know. And it would probably be over. But I literally got into, this could probably be fixed with before I was like, oh shit, their shields hit each other. 
Oh shit, he threw him over the bridge. Oh shit, he saw he's got a picture of Peggy. Oh shit, he said something about Bucky. Oh shit, Captain America just stabbed other Captain America with the scepter. No, I agree. When they were squaring off, I was like, they're not going to actually fight because this could be fixed easily. Because I, I fully believe that that even 2012 Captain America, if 2019 or really 2000... Twenty-four. Thank you. 2024 Captain America could have just easily gone, hey, listen, before we do this, I, I'm just you from the future, and uh, this is what's going on. And ca- 2012 Cap would have been like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And just, they they would have moved yeah, on I mean, from he's, it. Uh, he's a dude who has a super serum in his body and was frozen for 50, 50 years. years. Like, that, yeah, if somebody came back and was like, listen, here's the deal, I'm you from the future, he would have been like, yeah, I can buy it. Yeah. But the fact that, but I, I didn't care in that moment. Like, I don't, that is definitely one of those moments where you're right, could easily be fixed with a post-it note, but who gives a shit? Let's watch these two guys duke it out for like, Five minutes straight. Oh, so good. So good. Past Captain America would be like, that's not the strangest thing I've heard today. Yeah. (laughs) And now that leads us directly to Thor is still worthy. Which I love. I love everything about that scene. I think it's fantastic. Here's one thought that I had, even the first time while I was watching it. Was past Thor, like, eating a Subway sandwich? And he turns around and he's like, Where'd my hammer go? Yeah, that's a good point. That is, you know, for for all the things that everyone said about, like, plot holes and this and that and everything, and then you put the time stones back, in it, or the, the infinity stones back where they were, and it fixes everything, they didn't address, like, but that guy still has his hammer, so that doesn't just, re, re like, come back again. Who still has his hammer? Thor still has Thor's hammer. I missed it the first time, but I caught it the second time. Captain America returns it. Oh, he does? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's really hard to see. I don't know why they don't put it in the center more. Maybe because it's not the most important thing. We're skipping ahead a little bit, but when he goes onto the platform with the case to return the stones, he's saying goodbye to everyone, and it's like leaning against the side of it. And as he goes up, he he doesn't even bend over to pick it up. He just picks it up because it's, it's high enough that he can just scoop it up. Uh, and he walks onto the thing, and then he disappears. It's like two seconds, but he's got it with him. Oh, wow. I 100% missed that. But, so it's not a huge plot hole, it's just like, like, Thor doesn't notice his hammer just flies away from him, and then doesn't try to stop it. Right. No, it's a fair point. Which could happen. Like, maybe he's he's got bigger fish to fry. I feel like that Thor's dead. Like, that <laughs> Thor, he was probably in the middle of, a, of fighting someone, and he literally was, like, cocking it back to smack someone across the face. And it flew out of his hand, and that guy just just ripped him. You know what? Actually, since you and I both don't hate the Dark World, we should go back and watch that and see if there's a part in the movie because it happens in and find the moment. Well, I was gonna say there's in I can think of one in Avengers. I can think of one in Thor one. Uh, I can think of them all over the place where it takes a really long time for his hammer to show up. So I wonder if there's one of those in Thor: The Dark World where it takes a really long time. I. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there is. You know what I would love is is now this then opens everything up to the possibility that there are just like Thors throughout time just battling over 
summoning Mjolnir's from anywhere. <laughs> like just and now you when you rewatch every movie, the reason it takes a while is that like that was just Mjolnir was just coming from another Thor somewhere else. <laughs> And it's just, and this, this hammer is just zipping across timelines and dimensions. Sounds like the plot to a Rick and Morty episode. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. It's just these hammers are crisscrossing across space and time and everything. It's ridiculous. There's just like there's like a weird hammer super highway somewhere that they're just getting on exit ramps and everything. So there's just Thor's just summoning them from everywhere. It's just ridiculousness. Natasha and Clint find a weird ghost red skeleton uh, who says one of you has to die, and they believe him for some reason. Sure. You know what I love the most about this scene? The two of them are discussing how they're the ones who have to die, and Clint is the first one to give up. And I literally thought to myself, that was way too easy. Like, that's not good writing. Like, it should not have been that easy for him. And then the re- you find out the reason it's so easy is because he's he's going to stop her from killing herself. And what a great twist on a classic scene. We always see people trying to kill each other in these fucking movies over and over and over again. For 11 years, 22 movies, we have never seen two people try to kill themselves and make sure the other person doesn't die. Yeah, I did enjoy that. And I what I liked about it is that it's good screenwriting in that... Right up until the very end, they're fighting against each other. Like, there's always another twist. There's no empty space in that where you could have gone, well, you could have gone one more round. You know what I mean? Like, they they have the verbal dispute, then she goes and he stops her, and then they're fighting on the cliff. Literally every inch of the way is another turnabout and turnabout, and then he leaps off. Is it him? He leaps off, right? Yes, he jumps first and she catches him. And attaches him to the mountain. He jumps first. She catches him. And so there's the turnabout. And then there's like another set of turnabouts. And then she finally dies. Like all the way down. Well, yeah, she lets go of him. He catches her hand. I mean, I don't know who. I'm sure it's a collaborative effort. But the direction, the production, the writing, the, the camera work, the cinematography, the audio, and Scarlett Johansson as an actor. Those close-ups on her face where she has just sheer solemnity where she's saying it's okay you can let go she's so happy with the decision it's so good that was her moment that was for me that was her tony stark moment here's one thing i could not figure out where is his bow where does that come from (laughs) uh i believe his ass i remember looking at him when they're talking to the red skull and he had a quiver of arrows and he has his sword and i'm going where's his I don't remember him holding his bow. He throws it when he goes to run off the cliff. Oh, okay. Remember, she starts to go first and he shoots an arrow and it explodes and shoves her out of the way. Right. But where did the bow come from? First of all, I'm saying in the scene before, I don't remember. him. He had it in his quiver. It was it was on his back. Oh, okay. Maybe because it's all black. It it blended in or something. Because I remember seeing the quiver and going, I don't see the bow attached. That makes sense. It might have blended in. All right. So this leads me to my next question. No, Natasha. Okay, what's the movie? Is it a prequel? Uh, yes. Um, it's got to be right. I would I would assume it's a prequel. Is it an alternate universe? Could be, which we'll get into possibly in the news segments, because um, we'll talk about yep a certain trailer that came out. Yep, it could be that. I feel like I want a prequel. I don't want an origin story. Let me be clear. 
I want. I don't want an origin story. I want a prequel. Yeah, we already got an origin story in Age of Ultron, right? Yeah, I don't need any more than that. I don't need that. I just want... You didn't need that. No, not really. But I just want an honest-to-goodness, just straightforward Black Widow movie. Just like an espionage movie? Yeah, just an espionage movie. Like a good Tom Clancy-esque... Do you remember Red Sparrow? I was just gonna say Red Sparrow. Yes, I want Red we Sparrow. We want a better version of that? Yes. That's exactly what I want. So, the characters, they return to now. They unsnap. Someone said, I heard this, that one plot hole is that Mrs. Hawkeye's phone plan, Laura? I think her name's Laura, still works. And she found her old phone, which is very convenient. Now, here's the thing. I think that Clint probably keeps paying for it out of hope. Like, I, I just assume that he's got a, a an Avengers bank account that never runs out. Uh-huh. And that's part of it, is he keeps paying the phone plan, hoping that one day she'll call him back uh, because he's right. desperate. And we also saw that when people get snapped, their clothes and all the items they have on them, like Bucky's gun disintegrates as well. Right. So it makes sense that her phone would disintegrate and well, then come back when they, they also, snapped. where do they reappear? Because because Peter Parker kind of insinuates that they woke up exactly where they had disintegrated. Right. So if they disintegrated... Well, supposedly they're going to discuss that in the Spider-Man right. movie. So, for instance, if it, they disintegrated at Hawkeye's house, it's not hard to assume that he still has his house. Right. And that the phone is somewhere in the house. You know what I mean? Like Sort of. It, but when his phone vibrates, it's a picture of her and her name. Right. So wouldn't it say home? Could be. I, but I'm. But you're right. She could have had the cell phone on her, which most people do. As far as like the plan, I'm like, it's a recurring. It's it's the, an automated payment. Let's just say it's an automated payment. He never even thinks about it. Well, another option as well is that the Avengers Shield could just have its own phone system that like all of these numbers are registered to work with this satellite. You know. And so that still works. They just never shut it off because they don't need to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes don't look too far into it. It's a phone. Okay. <laughs> right. Just it's a phone. All right. So then we got fucking phone. Thanos arrives. And after the movie was over, some nerd behind me said the biggest plot hole of the movie was that they said each character only had enough pin particles for one trip for each person. And yet Nebula came through, then Thanos' ship and then all his soldiers. And I'm like, so he made some more. Like, he's, he's a super advanced alien being who's capable of interstellar travel. I mean, even Rocket thinks that Tony Stark's a moron. You're smart for Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason, yes. Yeah. He has scientists who are able to look at this thing, this this Pym juice, whatever whatever it is, and be able to replicate it. Yeah, that's the thing. Pym particles are called Pym particles because he created them. They're not made of him. Right. You don't need Hank Pym. Right. You can reverse... En- if I can reverse engineer a, you know fucking white wine sauce i can reverse engineer it's it's not hard to do right put it in the thing there's every spaceship i've ever seen in a movie has a thing that can make food out of atoms so (laughs) put in the thing you do it in reverse whatever it breaks it up all right and then uh i thought nebula was gonna put on the gauntlet yeah that thought hadn't occurred to me, but I do like it. Yeah, but she's surrounded by three people. I thought for sure she was going to try to do something and it was going to, like, fry her. Yes. Yeah. And then we hear someone through a headpiece say on your left, 
And then we finally have a comic book movie. It took 11 years, but we finally have a comic book movie with Giant Man punching whale birds and Spider-Man quipping and thwipping all over the place and Valkyrie tearing the guts out of aliens with a halberd while riding a Pegasus. We have arrived. It's everything we've always wanted. It's am- it's finally happened. It's amazing. And, you know, you've got Captain America using the hammer. You've got giant men punching giant things out. It's um, unbelievable. Did your theater erupt when he lifted the hammer? No, but I also saw it early in the morning, so no. I'm going to level with you. I, I I saw it at 11 in the morning, and the entire theater went insane. There was a bit of of noise and everything when it happened i will say for even a small theater in at 11 in the morning it was yeah people were pretty pretty ecstatic about this i think even i made a noise i also saw it in times square yeah see i saw it in the middle of queens so yeah we were not the most boisterous group but even (laughs) like i was by myself i hadn't gone with anyone and even i was like yeah like i actually that whole scene man you got, I love when Thor's like, here, you take the little one. Oh, I love it. I mean, even just his line of like, I knew it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a big deal. It was, he's just like, I knew it. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's everything. Because we got a taste of that from Age of Ultron as well. And you see, they do a great job of showing he wiggles Mjolnir when he tries to pick right. it up. And you see it, it goes into focus on Thor's face and he's like terrified. But at this point, he's just... Like, yeah, this is my guy. Uh, It was fantastic. What I like about this battle, I mean, and this is true of the movie in general, is that the battle, you know, I could see people hemming and hawing about this, especially when you get things like the the scene where all of the the women of Marvel have one giant battle scene together. I loved that scene. I loved it too. That scene almost wasn't in the movie. No. They almost cut it out because they were worried people would think they were pandering, but it was so fucking good. But that's the thing about this, and this is true of kind of the entire movie, is that it it is a little bit of pandering. I mean, we're just, (laughs) the whole plot of the movie is like, let's go back to three successful timelines and you know what I mean? But I don't care. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, Captain America picking up Thor's hammer is, is, that's all it is. It's pandering. Like, (laughs) let's let's orchestrate, like, we have these things. uh, These are now, in this battle scene, these are now beats that we don't need. We just want. Like, we just want to see it. You're just checking things off a list. And I love every check that you're doing. Yeah. We've just been hoping to see this over the last 11 years. Right. And that's what I mean. It's just a the whole movie turns into kind of a valentine for all 11 years in 22 movies. And... The thing, but the thing about it is, it works. They sell it in a way, in such an unabashed way, that I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I want to see all of this. I don't care that you're forcing this yeah, into this. It's, it's fan service, and it's about time because I'm one of the fans. It, it's amazing how much fan service they put into like an hour, <laughs> right? And that's what I mean. The last hour is is fan service, which plot wise. You know, is the weakest point, but I didn't care. By the time, because you did your legwork for two solid hours and did it well, when we get to the fan servicing, it, I buy it all. I'm all good with it. And then we get Captain Marvel flies in and she doesn't Deus Ex Machina it. She nope. doesn't save the day. People were worried about that. No. It looks like she almost could have. Yes. Uh, we get like. Thanos tries to headbutt her and nothing happens, but then he fucking smokes her in the face with the power gem. Which is a great moment. Not that watching someone punch a woman in the face is great, but it, it was the a- ingenuity of Thanos. 
Like, he's not your run-of-the-mill villain. He's not just a big, dumb guy who's going to clobber stuff. He's a smart man. Right. But I also love, you're right, like, it looked like she could have Deus Ex Machina to everything. But she just did enough. Like, she just did enough to kind of turn the tides and make it more believable that this group could defeat this thing. And it's great that they gave the last blow to Tony. So good. I just wrote here, Tony, no. (laughs) I just cried because you knew this was coming. Yeah, I cried through the whole movie. They set this up in this movie. Like there's a part where he says when he agrees to go do all this time travel crap, he says to Captain America, like my number one goal is protecting my family plan or number two goal is, you know, bringing back everyone we lost. And then I'm going to try like if I can to stay alive. There are a bunch of hints that this is coming. Yeah, absolutely. And we know this is that's again. One of those things where we're like, we know this is coming, but it's still satisfying. It's funny, though, too, because I actually thought the opposite. I don't think we ever talked about it on air, on air, <laughs> on the show. But I, It's 14 past the hour here on WQRX. <laughs> do, do, do. I actually thought that Captain America was going to die and Tony Stark was going to retire. And he's, he was going to be like, nah, man, I'm out. You know? Yeah. Because that seemed more in line with the characters for me, but that's one of the great things about this movie, is that you see that Captain America and Tony Stark have sort of switched paths. Right. Like, their character arcs are have sort of traded places, which is nice. I think, for me, I, I kind of saw the fact that Tony Stark was going to be the one to die, because A, he, it, he has the longest arc. I mean, he's been the first movie throughout the whole thing. And so if anyone's going to go to complete this full cycle, it would logically be him. But also because the way that he's operated throughout all, I mean, he's not in all 22 movies, but the way he is operated throughout all 11 years is kind of getting uh, in in more of a slightly reckless manner and and taking bigger swings and bigger chances. And with bigger chances comes, you it gets greater success, but you also have the more chance for the greater failure. There's greater risk. Right, exactly. And so it made more sense for him to be the one to die because he would have been the one to take the biggest swing and the biggest chance. I definitely agree with that. I I just didn't see it coming. Um, It's definitely a better storytelling choice. But the other thing that's interesting is one of the reasons I didn't see it, but it's also a reason that it makes it a better choice uh, for storytelling is there's a great monologue when they're all fighting in the first Avengers movie where Captain America says to him, you're not the guy to lay down on a wire and let other people go over you, are you? You're not the one to make the, the sacrifice play. And he says, I'd rather cut the wire. Right, right. So it's great to see how far he's come since that film. He's like, no, there's always a way out. Yeah. But now there's not. Well, yeah, and the, it's this idea of like, he's had all of these adventures, these all, all of these happenings that... He's tried and failed in some way. You know, you have Ultron where he tried something and it backfired horribly. Um, and he's dealt with all of these different issues and the guilt that, that comes with that. That you're right. He's now kind of gone o- over to the other side of, you know, I've, I've done so much where I've tried so hard and made these giant messes. I have to clean all of this up. I have to be the one to do it. It has to be me. Like that's the other thing is even if it was, I feel like even if Cap, was the one who had the gauntlet on at the end of the movie. I could see a scene where Tony Stark is like, no, I have to be the one to do this. 
you know, there could have been a fight between Cap and Iron Man for the gauntlet just to do the snap because he's like, no, I have, you don't understand. It's my responsibility. I'm the one who started all this in the, in the first place. Another very important thing that I have to say, white men over the age of 40 have to stay away from Peter Parker. <laughs> They're just all die. They all die. Every father figure he's ever had has died. Yeah. No, it's just not okay. I don't know why Happy decides to stick around. Yes, he's got to get out. Yeah, it's just not good. It's not good at all. Happy should really watch his back. Let me tell you. Maybe this kid's killing him. I think that's why he avoids all his phone calls. He's like, this kid. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's that kill mode, man. We get the sad Iron Man funeral. Uh, Point of note, Black Widow didn't get a sad Black Widow funeral. No, she did not. No, she did not. That's misogyny. And then I have written here, Cap, no! And then, uh, new Cap. And new Cap. Uh, which I love, again, we kind of knew something was going to happen with this. Yes. Just because we know the ins and out of contracts and things like that, so it's not surprising. This was one point, I will say, where I felt like Bucky kind of let things... It, it was weird... How should I put this? It was kind of weird... In that Bucky and he have been friends for so long. I understand why it's, it should be Sam to be the new Cap and everything like that. I, I know what you mean. But yeah, at the end of the day, you can't just give the promotion to your best friend because he's your best friend, right? It, I guess it, it was just something odd about it in that that conversation felt like two best friends. But at the same time, you know that's, that Cap and Bucky are best friends. Do you know what I mean? I don't know even know if I'm expressing this in a in a very cohesive way. I think Bucky knows that, Sam knows that, you know, it's 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 part of the gig. Oh, absolutely. And I think Cap knows that. I and I, I guess that's what it is, is that Bucky also knows. He's like, no, I'm not the right guy for the job. And I have more on that actually in a bit, because it's one of my facts that I have for the end. But the very last thing I want to talk about is uh well two things. The the second to last thing is uh, the after credits hammer. Yes. Did you stay for that? Yes, I did. Is that just a reference to the first movie? I think that it is. I know people are like, he's still alive, or that's, uh, what's her face, or whatever. I think that it is. I think it's the, you know, for 11 years, we have watched, and since the first Iron Man movie, they've had those post credit scenes that kind of spur you on to the next chapter of the story. And they're trying to say, like, this is it. We have come full circle. We have sealed this. This is done. You could watch all 22 of these movies and never, you know, if we never made another Marvel movie again, the tale would be complete. It's over. And we don't need to, do, you know, what's the point of doing a post credit scene? Yeah. It would feel like a loose thread. Can I offer up two of my personal theories that I have not read anywhere else and get your reactions to them? Yes. Go for it. One, it is Pepper Potts swinging the hammer, fixing rescue her suit Ooh, let me hear the other one and i'll comment on both of them the other theory i have is that is i don't know how specific i want to be with this the least specific is someone's getting ready to step up to replace tony stark it could be a riri williams type character an Ironheart, which we had talked about right maria rambo's daughter now being 30 ish could step in and take that role right so those are my two theories Honestly, and I I shouldn't even say this before I get your reactions, but I 100% think it's just like, thanks, thanks, Robert Downey, you know. Yeah, I totally get you. Of those two theories, the Riri Williams one, it feels, I mean, or the anybody else theory, which I'm pretty sure other people probably have out there, 
I think it doesn't work because it's too loose. Like, it's too too vague. Like, let's just put a, a random thing and we'll figure out who... Well, the, for me, it's too soon, man. And it's too soon. And that's the other thing. We just lost this guy. Yeah. And so we're going to have some other character take over this thing. I do like the Pepper Potts thing. Like I said, I don't... Th- and you said it too. It's probably not actually that. But it is kind of a neat thing to think of that it could be that. And that would be a character that I would totally be fine with that being like, this is, you know, to give it an epilogue, this continues on. Uh, This lineage kind of continues on. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Here's the big open-ended question. Where do they go from here? Excellent question. So where do they go from here? So first of all, we know obviously Far From Home is coming out um because it's july i don't know man i can't look that far ahead i'm seeing detective pikachu this thursday okay that's fair so obviously we know from the trailer uh how much do you want to talk about the trailer in this in this one basically none do you talk about whatever we know from it but without saying why okay obviously they're continuing on from here i think here's what i would like to see because people have been writing articles on like who's going to be the new avengers who's the new lead of the marvel cinematic universe like who's guiding the ship now i would love to see the ship rudderless for a couple of for a couple of years like i like the idea you know you had this one guy at the forefront of it who was able to steer it all and really you had a couple of people with thor and cap and and tony stark that could have at any time been the people guiding this thing and they were strong enough to do it and now i kind of like the idea that like we had these people and now we don't anymore. So we now we have to find a way. We have to this whole universe kind of has to find its own footing. So we get these individual stories of these people who are finding their way and maybe we even at some point have an Avengers group that doesn't feel as cohesive or as strong as the last one. And that's what the whole universe is about. It's like how do you after something like this find your footing again? That's what I I think would be the best thing to do is have these individual stories of not just moving on, but like growing up in the world. Basically, it's it's that type of idea. The Russo brothers have said that they could see either maybe a mini series or a TV show or even a movie of Captain America returning the stones and Mjolnir. Would you be interested in seeing that? No, actually, I don't think I would. Yeah, same. I don't, I really wouldn't. Same, I don't want to. I have no interest in that. I don't need to think that that he had adventures returning. I like to think like he just popped in, put the thing in and left. Yeah. The only thing I would like to see, and this could literally be done as a viral video on YouTube, is whatever happened with the Soul Stone. Because all I want to see is... Is the Red Skull still there? And is that a conversation? And what is that conversation? Well, and also, how do you return the Soul Stone? Yeah. He says it's a soul oh. for a soul. Does Nat come back? That's what I'm wondering. I'm. Oh, that was going to be... At the end, you see that he's searching for Gamora and they can't find it. The computer cannot find Gamora. First of all, I'm wondering if she was taken away in the snap. Oh. If the gauntlet read her as part of Thanos' army. And she was actually snapped away. And that's why I can't find her. However, there's also a story to, to be said of like them being, them having to go and get. So now that the soul stone is returned and the old Gamora is dead in that universe, then there's a search for Gamora is really what it goes down to. Yeah. I mean, at, at minimum, I think there's a decent chance that she's back in her own universe. Right. But yeah, there's a decent chance that when Tony snapped, he was just like, she's one of, Thanos's ladies. Yeah, because she hadn't quite, like, I mean, 
she was kind of turning, but she hadn't quite come over to the... I guess she was in the fight scene, wasn't she? Well, and she had, but but we don't know... Like, in the comics, it's very clear that you become omnipotent and all-knowing when you have the gauntlet and all the stones. Right. But in this universe, we don't really know how it works. How instantly you become omnipotent. Well, if at all. Right. You know? Or do you? is it just like a magic lamp thing and you're like... Uh, everyone who works for Thanos is goes away. Snap. Yeah, Gamora's gone. Is somehow as well, included you know? in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, I think there's something to that. I think that when we've got as Guardians of the Galaxy, we're getting a new team up, I, which is yeah, cool. No, like Thor's is going from cool. teaming up with the Hulk. And again, that kind of goes towards um, that idea of like we don't we don't have a real leader. Oh, by the way, what I was thinking of as Guardians for the Galaxy, what I would actually love to see is one. Fat Thor stays. Yeah. But then people still love Thor so much that Quill now, instead of trying to get buffer and better looking than Thor, now reads it as, well, I guess fat is the new thing. And so they just try and get fatter and fatter over each other. (laughs) I would love to see like a fat Thor and then the movie comes on and it's also fat Quill. I think that would be great. Yeah. And it's just a very puffy Peter Quill, which I think both of them would love as well, because they don't have to work out all the time. Uh, maybe. Like, they should, if they were smart, they would have to sell, they would sell this as like, hey, I think both our characters need to be fat now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, though. <laughs> Chris Pratt, I think, does not want to go back to being fat. I think it's brilliant. Listen, I don't know if you've seen the type of regiment that Marvel superhero movies put a person on. Nobody wants that. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. Chris Evans walked away from a franchise because of this workout, okay? Nobody wants it. You ready for the facts? All right, let's do the facts. Hit me. Hit me with the lightning round of facts. Endgame was titled Infinity Gauntlet for years. Zoe Saldana accidentally leaked the title in 2017 at a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 event by saying, quote, I think that the Guardians just shot their part when it comes to Infinity War, the first part, and we all have to go back for Gauntlet later this year. Is that a better title, or is Endgame a better title? I like Endgame. I I actually do. Now seeing the movie, I like it better. Yeah. I think when I first heard it, I was like, that's a really good title, but yeah, I would have loved Infinity War and Infinity Gauntlet, because you're referencing two iconic titles. But now seeing what the movie is... I like Endgame better. Yeah, Endgame fits much better. Yeah. Alan Horn, the chairman at Walt Disney, suggested breaking Endgame into two different movies. He worked on the Lord of the Rings films and thought it would be the best way to do it. But the Russos thought it wouldn't be a good idea. Were they right? They are always right. Always defer to what the Russos say. Yeah. Anthony Russo said an interesting thing about the success of the movie. He said, I have to be honest with you. I'm I'm buying a car. (laughs) He said, I have to be honest with you. I'm almost disappointed that the movie did so well because it's like the box office story is literally dominating the conversation and it's not the most important part of the story. And I'm like, well, Russo's, you can't win them all. (laughs) Except they're literally winning them all. Except he feels like it's too successful. See, but the thing is, I don't think that's what he said is necessarily true. I think that people are making a lot of big, uh, a big deal about how much money this movie is making, but that is quickly often married to the fact that this is also a really well done movie and that is why it's so successful. Right. The Russos told USA Today, so far as matching the level of integrity of Captain America, Sam is pound for pound. I mean, Thor, you know what I'm saying? Sam is pound for pound as morally forthright as anyone in the Marvel Universe. 
and Bucky's a damaged character. Sam spends his time trying to repair other people who are broken by war, and it just feels like he has the same values as Captain America. I agree with that, and like we said before, I agree that's why he's chosen as the new Cap. Yeah, I I 100% agree with yeah, that. Yeah, and also, um, Bucky is compromised, right? Like, anyone can just break into his head saying the right Russian words. Yeah, well, I don't know. They never really, after Civil War, they never really discussed if they washed him completely of that somehow. Like, we don't really know all of what happened in Wakanda. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I mean, I'm sure it's possible. They'd be smart of them not to get rid of that, because you can always bring it back right. for something. Well, and at minimum, like... His mind has got to be a little bit like jelly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what makes him so compelling as a character. So maybe not best to put that kind of pressure on him. I don't know if you remember a while back we did a uh, news article about Kathleen Langford being added to Endgame. I very rarely remember any of the things we say on this show. (laughs) I don't even remember how this episode started. The internet was under the impression that she was going to be playing Kate Bishop. And that that was going to transition into a Disney, uh, Matt Fraction-style Hawkeye show. Right, right, right. I know where this is going. Anyway, go on. But yeah, go ahead. You know where this is going? I think I know where this is going. People were like, well, she's not in the movie. Who did she play? Who was she going to play? What's going on? And the Russos just explained who she was playing and why she was cut. Yes. Joe Russo spoke on uh, the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, and he said... There was an idea that we had, that Tony was going to go into the metaphysical way station that Thanos goes in when he snapped his fingers, and that there was going to be a future version of his daughter in that way station. What we realized about it was we didn't feel an emotional association with the adult version of his daughter, so it wasn't ringing to us and resonating with us on an emotional level. The intention was that his future daughter, because these films are dealing with magic, his future daughter forgave him and sort of gave him peace to go. And the idea felt resonant, but it was just too many ideas in an overly complicated movie. I'll be honest with you, when the snap happened, I literally thought that scene was going to occur. I was actually waiting for that scene. I thought something was. I thought he was going to go to the way station like Thanos did. I thought he was going to go to the way station, and then I I thought he was going to go to the way station, and then I thought who would be at the way station. And then at first I thought his his daughter at her current age, and then I thought, nah, there's got to be... Because Gamora appeared as a young person, and I was like, they're not going to make her younger. They would make her older. So it was like, oh, he's going to talk to, like, a 15-year-old girl or a 16-year-old girl. Which is funny, too, because I thought he was going to see Black Widow. That could have been interesting. Because I thought the reason he saw Gamora was because he killed her for the Soul Stone. Right. So Natasha died for this Soul Stone, so wouldn't he see her? Oh, okay. I know what you're saying. I think that you're developing, like, a, a cinematic rule, a connection that isn't actually there. But I understand how that connection is made. I think it's not about who's connected to the Soul Stone. I think the way station is a different, is a separate thing linked to who you are, who you care about. It just so happened in Infinity War, the person that, the soul that was given is also the person closest to the person getting the Soul Stone. The directors and the writers disagree about Cap's timeline. When I left the theater, the first thing I thought was, the only part that doesn't make sense is that Captain America is there as an old man. So the Russo brothers believe Cap went to a different universe, held on to the Pym Particles, and bounced back to our universe in time after Peggy died. 
So that's what I think happened. However, the writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely believe he stayed in the same universe but in the past and lived out the remainder of his life with Peggy Carter. Uh, what do we think? I believe the second one. You believe the first one. I believe the second it one. It can't be the second one. They explained that that's not possible earlier in the film. Nope, I believe it's the the second one. It can't be. You know how it can be? Because vampires don't exist? Because it's a movie. They're making all this shit up. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I believe that it's the second one. It doesn't matter. You can fight me. You can give me all the signs you want. And at the end of the day, it's going to come to a complete draw because it doesn't matter. It does, though. I believe it's the second one. Here's the thing. We talked about this at the beginning, how John Landis said, you make the rules. And as long as you stick to your rules, that's all that matters, right? I don't remember what that what he said. (laughs) I haven't listened to a conversation that John Landis has had with me in years. Okay, so I don't know. Who gives a shit what John Landis says? He killed a bunch of people. Yeah. The Russos believe that Robert Downey Jr. deserves an Oscar for this. What do you think? I think maybe Lifetime Achievement. I think a nomination. Okay. I, I don't know if I'm going to go full win, but I really, do, I honestly do believe a nomination. And listen, if certain people, and we know this to be true, it's an unwritten thing, but we all know it to be true that certain people get nominated, not for the movie that they're in, but the movie last year that they got snubbed for and should have gotten nominated and blah, 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 blah. If that is true, then... For 11 years of work that culminated and actually he hit a peak at the end of the 11 years and played it pitch perfect. Yeah, he should get some sort of recognition for this. Absolutely, he should. This was amazing. You watched an 11 year arc of a character and it wasn't at no point did I ever go, oh, they did this part already or like, but he resolved this problem in this movie and why is he going through it again? This is a full, you could watch every second of Tony Stark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you get a full character journey from beginning to end. And it is, it is really well done. And yes, a lot of that is the writing, but it is a lot of his performance. Isn't it incredible that he was not nominated for Civil War? But he was nominated for Tropic Thunder. I mean, it's incredible that he was nominated for Tropic Thunder without anything else related to it. But you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do get what you mean. I mean, I think in Civil War, I wasn't... Listen, I think he was fantastic in Civil War, but I wasn't looking for any sort of nomination. Although, I mean, that scene when he says, he killed my mom. That's what I... I mean, God, that whole scene. Yeah, I agree with you. But this thing, I mean, he just went for broke. In every single scene, he did not, again, he's a huge star for 11 years. For every scene he is in, he didn't once phone it in, in these funny little comic book movies. Like, he went for broken every single second he's in. All right, last thing. When asked by Happy, Sad, and Confused, the MTV podcast, as to why Cap's worthiness wasn't displayed until Endgame, Anthony Russo answered, In our heads, he was able to wield it. He didn't know that until the moment in Ultron where he tried to pick it up, but Cap's sense of character and his sort of humility and sort of out of deference to Thor's ego, Cap in that moment, realizing he can move the hammer, decides not to. Do we agree with this? I agree with it that that makes total sense and that it could be that. In my mind, the story that I like to tell myself, which makes the viewing of the movie better for me, is that I think... He didn't view himself as being able to do it. Not that he didn't have the confidence that he would be worthy to do it. I think 
he thinks, oh, you, I'm not as guardian. I can't pick it up. Like, that's just one of the rules of the hammer or something. I'm not royalty or anything like that. At the end of the day, he's still just a kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. So he's like, oh, of course I can't pick it up. This is a fun game we're playing, but I'm not going to really be able to pick it up. It's it's whatever. There's science behind it that dictates I'm not going to be able to do it. I think that in the heat of the battle with Thanos, the reason he's able to easily pick it up is that he's not in his head about that. He's like, I need this thing. I got a weapon that is right here, and I am going to pick it up the way he would pick up anything else. If he had picked up a boulder at that point, it would have been the same thing. Like, he's not thinking about how heavy it is. He's not thinking about worthiness. He's not thinking about anything. He's just like, I need this, and I can use it. And that getting out of his own way was the last thing that allowed him to pick it up because he was always worthy. He always had the worthiness, but he was stopping himself. I think that's a, a, a decent answer. I think that's better. I really don't know what Anthony Russo was trying to say with that. Like, I, I think he's saying that. I, well, no, look, I get it. I get uh, what I mean to say is I don't know why he's saying that, but because it seems like. I mean, the Russos are so good at creating a, a character arc and a story. That it just seems like a, a weird choice to say like, oh, he was always worthy. Um, I, maybe, maybe like I like your answer better, which is that like he was self sabotaging, right? Which is still a character arc, right? Right. But rather than just being, he was too nice a guy, right? You know, like that's that's a weird answer. I like self sabotage. I I think he wasn't worthy enough. Like I think the hammer could tell he was still very fresh faced. He was naive. He he wasn't the best he could be yet. Right. Um. And he needed to become a mixture of his old time and this new time. And now he has. And now he's cursing all the time. He has a very realistic aspect on life, and I think that helps make him more worthy. Uh. Like even when he first sees himself when he's about to fight himself, and he's like, ah, shit. You know, that's a new Captain America that we haven't seen before. And after old Captain America says, uh, I could do this all day. And he's like, yeah, yes, I know. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's a very modernized version of himself. He's like, God, what a goober I was back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he was not self-aware enough. He took himself too seriously. He took the group too seriously. And now that he's loosened up a little bit, he has become a better leader. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. I think, I think what... Anthony Russo said, this is going to sound weird at first, but I think it would not have sounded as weird if Joss Whedon had said it. And the reason I say that is this, the the scene that Anthony Russo is referencing is not his scene. He didn't shoot that movie. Right. He's creating a little, a mini scene in a movie that is not his. So like, you're just creating an error and that you never really reference until someone on a podcast asked you that question. Yeah. So you're just adding, he was like, we always felt that, did it. what do you mean we? You weren't part of that movie. <laughs> yeah. That's not your movie. Like, that's not, and you never reference that moment in any of your movies. So there is no we. It's just, There's only Zool. Yeah, exactly. Um, if Joss Whedon had been like, yeah, what's going on in that scene is that that inch means he was about to pick it up and he decided to not to do it. Then I would have gone, well, okay, that's that makes sense. That was what you were shooting. But it's not Anthony Russo's movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose. Uh, I Here's the thing. I think there's there's definitely leeway for interpretation, yes. right? Like it is it is part of the Russo's duty as director of this film to analyze and critique and sure. try to understand and interpret 
the previous stories that have come before this film. Sure. I just think they missed the mark on that one. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't show in the film. No, and it doesn't lessen it in any sort of way. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Right, exactly. It doesn't have any effect on it at all, which is great. I What is... What is the worst thing about this film? I can't think of a single fucking bad thing. That, and that's what I'm saying. Is that, like I said, the weakest thing is the giant battle. But the giant battle is so amazing and glorious that Ugh. there's really... I don't think there is a weak thing in this in this film. Yeah. Again, there was, like I said, the tried and true sentiment of... Uh, you could tell the weakest part of the movie is when I could go to the bathroom and there was no <laughs> moment I could go to the bathroom. Though, okay, this is the only thing that I can think of. The weakest part of this movie is that clearly there's a scene between Paul Rudd and Ken Jeong that was cut, and I want that scene. That's really the only weakest part of this movie. Uh, he has no lines in this movie. He's no lines in this movie, and you don't get Ken Jeong and not give him lines. So clearly, there is a scene between Paul Rudd and Ken Jeong in a storage locker that we did not see that I want put back into the movie. That's the weakest part of the movie. We've almost got the whole cast of Community in the MCU. I know. It's really close. I think we're only missing three, right? We're missing Joel McHale, Allison Brie, and we're missing Chevy Chase. Oh, Chevy Chase. And Jillian Jacobs. We're missing four. Does Chevy Chase count? He doesn't have to. <laughs> but then you're missing Allison Brie, Jillian Jacobs, and Joel McHale. Those who are, are who you're missing. But we got two in and this And I one. would not be shocked. I would not be shocked at all. If um, we get them all, Joel, if we if you get Joel McHale at, at some point, I would not surprised at all. He'd be perfect in this universe. I wouldn't be surprised if we get him as a character, like as a main, like a we could see him as a Adam Warlock or something. I could see him as Blue Beetle. Oh, I could see that. That's DC though, isn't it? Uh, Blue Beetle. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. But I'm stealing that. <laughs> but I could see him as like another version of like the Gary Shandling character, the Hydra Senator type of thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Like one of those I could see. I could definitely see that. I'm trying to think of like a good, what's a good Marvel character who's like a little washed up, kind of schlubby. Thor. <laughs> not, no, schlubby, not tubby. Oh, sorry. My mistake. He'd actually be a pretty good Booster Gold also. He could do either of those characters. He would. He really would. He actually would. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything yeah, on Endgame. You got anything else you want to say? Are we going to talk about... The reading assignment now, or do you want to wait until the next episode? So here's what I want to do. Okay. And uh, everyone be ready for this when it comes out. I was planning on us finding time to get together to do a video together. Okay. But I think what we're going to do is record it, and then Melinda's going to edit it with images and video and stuff like that. Okay, great. And I still got to figure out what we're going to talk about for the Patreon episode, but I want that to be very fast. (laughs) Yes, so do I. And the new segment will probably be very fast. Mostly because, yeah, yep. if for no other reason, there's there's really no news. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a few things, but I think you and I have a lot of the same stuff. I'm sure that we do. Everybody was really smart and was like, we're not putting out new stuff. There's no way we're going to get any of the news cycle. Well, what are you all complaining about? This episode was two hours fucking long. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All right, yeah, let's wrap this up. Let's get out of here. Hey, Andrew. Yeah? Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. What you know happens what? if I just it. don't respond? Um, I'll just keep doing it, really. This uh, this episode gets four hours long. That's how. That's what happens. Oh, God. All right, all right. What, 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 what? Where can they find us? 
They can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash the Media Lunch Break. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, youtube.com slash the Media Lunch Break. We'll be bringing up, I don't know when it's going to go up, but we'll have a video pretty soon of uh, Chris and I talking about the comparisons, similarities, and differences between the comic Infinity Gauntlet and the movies Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, you can also give us money on patreon.com slash the media lunch break we still only have one patron because i haven't been pushing it very hard but i need to start doing that again <laughs> you can also go to our website which is the and you can send us an email at the media lunch at gmail.com yay you did them all yay. good job like a big boy all. good job yep. all right that's me that's a you and this is a me let's get the fuck out of here let's do this all right goodbye everyone enjoy this i'm so sorry for wasting all of your time <laughs> Oh, my thumb. Ow. Thank you for your service, Robert Downey Jr.